Well, our sermon text for this morning, this very last Sunday in the church year and the season of Trinity, comes from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. If you're able, please rise again for the hearing of God's holy word. And we read from 1 Thessalonians in Jesus' holy name. Now concerning the times and seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of the light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of, plate of faith and love, and for a helmet, hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain a salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Lord God, your word is truth. Lord, give us a longing for your return. Help us to be ready for it. God, point us our sin, allow us to repent of it, and point us to the finished work of Christ, the one way to be ready for your return. We pray these things in your holy name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, in Azenby, North Yorkshire, England, in 1768, a woman by the name of Mary Harker was born. She was the daughter of farmers, and yet she learned to both read and write, which was not at all common uh, for a woman in England in those days. At the age of 13, she moved to Thrisk and began to work as a servant girl. And by the time she turned 20, she moved to York to make her way as a dressmaker. One year later, she moved on to a place called Leeds, and then in 1792, she married a wheelwright by the name of John Bateman. In 1806, Mary Bateman joined the followers of a prophetess in Leeds who went by the name of Joanna Southcote. Her teaching often had to do with the return of Christ and the last days. Later in 1806, a miraculous thing happened at the house of Mary Bateman. It was so impressive that it made people flock to Leeds to see what was going on. You see, Mary had a hen, a hen that was laying very special eggs. The eggs that were laid by this particular hen, which became known as the prophetic hen of Leeds, contained a message written on the shells when they were laid. The message said, Christ is coming. Mary Bateman kept three of these eggs on display in her home, and people flocked to Leeds to see the hen lay more. It ended up causing a small panic in the area. This is a pretty amazing story, isn't it? A hen that lays eggs that say Christ is coming. Uh, I don't know how your history is, but Christ didn't come back in 1806. <laughs> it, didn't, it didn't happen. You see, it would later be proven that, that Mary was taking eggs that that hen had laid. She was taking acid and writing Christ is coming on them and then putting them back in the hen so that people could see the miracle of prophetic eggs being laid. 
Now, there are a few things I left out of the story of Mary's life that probably would have tipped you off that she was a shyster. Uh, when she left York and went to Leeds, she did it not for business opportunities, but because she was running from the cops. She was accused of burglary and escaped them in Leeds. In Leeds, she didn't just make dresses. Actually, most of the money she made came from fortune-telling and uh, making magic cures for all kinds of diseases. Uh, she and her husband, John, left Leeds a few times to go on crime sprees throughout England, uh, and they were caught escaping from jail and bribing the witnesses and the guards. Just three years after this scam of the prophetic hen, she was arrested for poisoning two people that she claimed she was curing. One of them ended up dying. When the police searched their house, they found evidence of the poison as well as belongings that she was stealing from all of the people that she claimed to be helping. In 1809, Mary Bateman was executed for her crimes. So how could people have been deceived by a woman like this? She was a, a lifelong criminal who claimed to tell the future and sold cures that, that ranged from snake oil to outright poison that was killing people. I think people were deceived because the return of Christ, the end of the world, everything being made new again, is, it's a fascinating topic, isn't it? It's something that interests all of us in one way or another. And ever since Jesus said he was going to come back and judge the living and the dead, people have been trying to figure out when it would be. Many people over the years have bought into the predictions of others about when Christ would return. The first recorded uh, prediction of Christ's return was by Hippolytus of Rome. He said Christ would come back in 500. Of course, it didn't happen. Pope Sylvester II was convinced it would be in the year 1000 also didn't happen. Thomas Munzer, who lived during the Reformation, you may have heard his voice, thought it would be 1525, didn't happen. Joanna Southcote, the prophetess we talked about earlier, said it would be on December, or on Christmas Day of 1814, and not only that, that she would bear the child Christ a second time, also didn't happen. Jerry Falwell said it would happen between 1999 and 2009, didn't happen. Harold Camping claimed it would happen multiple days in 2011. It didn't happen. And Doc Bashor and many others think it'll still happen in 2021 or times after. This is just a tiny flyover of the more famous people who have made predictions about the timing of Christ's return. And they've all been wrong and they're all going to be wrong. But there's a little bit of us, at least I think this is part of all of us, that wants to figure out that great mystery of the exact day when Christ will return. I think all of us want to unlock that secret and know without a doubt when it's going to be. We'd love to be able to watch the news and say, oh, that volcano that just erupted means we have 212 days until Christ returns. Or that war in the Middle East, it means we have less than a year. Time is short. And because we all want that, we can all be deceived by folks that claim they've figured it out, especially if they're smooth talkers and really good salesmen. So we should really take to heart the words that Paul writes here to us in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. He wrote, Now concerning the times and seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you, for you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord 
will come like a thief in the night. It's very similar to what Jesus said in Matthew 24, but concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of man. So as much as we might want to figure out the exact dating of Christ's return, all of our attempts are going to prove fruitless. You see, only God the Father knows when Christ will return. And for all of us, his return will be like a thief in the night. The timing of it will be unexpected. Paul tells us concerning the times and seasons, you don't need any, any instruction. And why? Because it wouldn't do us any good anyway. Paul tells us we can't figure it out and we really shouldn't even try. That isn't the point of the prophecies that God has given to us. Those prophecies, whether in the Old Testament, from Jesus in the Gospels, from our epistle writers, or the entire book of Revelation, they aren't a roadmap for us to use to figure out how close we are to the return of Christ. Instead, every last one of them is a call to repentance and to faith. All of those passages are given so that we might be ready when Christ returns, not so that we can figure out when his return is going to be. Paul makes that clear to us here in 1 Thessalonians 5. He says, you're not of the darkness, so that day won't surprise you like a thief. He calls us children of the light. We know that Christ will return, and so whether it happens mid-sermon today, and I would love that if Christ returned today, or a thousand years from now, true Christians are going to be ready for him to return in glory to judge the living and the dead. Now, when I was in seminary, I worked at a plastics company called Paydac. And um, I made a lot of dumb mistakes <laughs> while I was there. I've told you about a few of them, but I'm going to tell you about another one today. You see, my, my problem is, even when my boss, Phil, would tell me the best way to do something, I either wouldn't quite pay enough attention, or I would decide that I could figure out a better way myself. Every once in a while, that worked out for me, but more often than not, I paid the price for my stupidity. We made a lot of parts. It was all industrial parts, but we made a lot of parts that had threads in them so they could screw into different things. And most of the time, that was, it was pretty easy to do. We wouldn't cut the threads in with a tap. Instead, we'd injection mold these little inserts into the part, and then you'd take a pneumatic drill and a, and a towel so you didn't scald your hand on the hot plastic and just zip it right out. There was one part that was more difficult than the rest, and they built a little jig for it so it wouldn't move around for you. And when Phil told me about this, it was my first day working on it, he said, don't get careless with this one. You can really hurt yourself. Use the jig every time. Put your body weight into it when you're holding it down. I don't want to see you get hurt. Guess what I did? I got sick of using that jig because it was a pain. <laughs> and I just set the part on the counter, and I didn't put my body weight into it, and I hit the pneumatic drill, and I had a chunk, a big chunk of hot plastic come flying around and smoke me in the hand. I'm really lucky I didn't break something. I didn't believe what Phil had to say that day, and I paid the price for my stupidity. You see, this is the other mistake that we can make when we think about the return of, the, of Christ. We can be led to believe that he really isn't coming back. 
And when people don't believe that Christ is coming, it's easy for them to become indifferent, to become apathetic to the gospel. And when we do that, we begin to fall asleep spiritually. And so some of us need a divine wake-up call. And the Apostle Paul gives us that here in 1 Thessalonians, starting in verse 6, where he writes, So let us not sleep as others do, but let us be awake and sober. There are also those who are in denial about death. You see, deep down inside, they, they know that everyone dies someday, but they live and make decisions as though they'll never die. Very often, such people fool themselves through continuous entertainment. But one day, everyone dies. Martin Luther died, Abraham Lincoln died, Babe Ruth died, and so did Louis Armstrong. We all die. About two people die every second, more than 6,000 every hour, more than 150,000 a day, and close to 57 million die each year. Some people deny death by burying reality in a lifetime of parties and outward celebrations. They have a great time as long as that party lasts, but reality's got this way of catching up with everyone. And sooner or later, we will all leave this world. Those who are not ready because they spend a lifetime trying to be happy are the ones who are the saddest of all. They party throughout a lifetime and suffer throughout eternity. But then there are those that are ready to leave this world. They don't waste their time trying to guess when the end will come. Instead, they're ready for the end, whenever it comes. Paul writes about them with these words in 1 Thessalonians 5, 8 through 11. Since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation, for God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing. You see, Paul used the image of, of armor to tell us about the true essentials that we need for the day of the Lord. He doesn't tell us anything about canned food or purified water or a generator or even a handgun. Instead, he tells us we need to put on faith and hope and love. He repeats this in his first letter to the church in Corinth. He says the essentials of the, of the faith are faith, hope, and love. You see, living this way, it encourages others. It gives them a credible hope of Christ's return. Those who are ready to leave this world know that Jesus already came to it long ago. And he came to arrange for our salvation. He did it by living a perfect life in our place and then suffering the punishment that we deserved as he hung on a cross and he gave up his life. Three days later, he rose again from the dead. And with his resurrection, he demonstrated the exit plan that he arranged for all who believe in him. By his resurrection, he promised to deliver us from sin and to raise us to new life when we leave this world. Those who are ready want other people to have an exit strategy as well. They say to their loved ones, friends, co-workers, and anyone who will listen, we don't have an arrival time, but Christ is on his way. He won't let us down, 
So don't be afraid, but be alert, because he could show up at any time. And when he comes, he will take us home. All things will be made new. There will be no more suffering or pain or death. But we will be in the new heavens and the new earth with our God and King for eternity. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this call to be awake, to be sober, to be ready. Make us ready, Lord. Allow us to freely confess our sins before you and to trust that every last one of them was paid for on the cross by Jesus Christ. Lord, strengthen our faith in you, that we might be ready for that day when you call us home. Lord, as we now get ready to go to your table and receive, I pray that you would allow us to come freely confessing our sin and trusting in what we receive there, the body and blood of our crucified and risen Lord Jesus Christ, given and shed for all of our sins. We thank you for this opportunity to go to your table again. We pray this in your holy name. Amen.